This is the Territory Story Podcast with Leon Logan-Nathan and Peter Gowers. Thanks to Opie Dennis Digital Marketing, your local digital marketing agency. Hello there and welcome to Weekends with Walshie, the Territory Story Weekend Edition. My name is Peter Gowers. This guy's name is Leon Logan-Nathan. Hello, mate. How are you? Good. How are you? I am feeling uh, refreshed and ready to go. Excellent. Well, we should bring in the third member of this team. Christopher Walsh from the NT Independent Online Newspaper. Hello, Walshie. Hey, guys. Good to see you both. Uh, I'm not as refreshed <laughs> as Leon, but, uh, yeah, you know, when you get doing these stories and you start breaking this kind of stuff, you start to get a second wind and some energy, and uh, mm. I think I'm still still on that right now. So, yeah, I'm good to go. I'm not sure if I've forgiven you yet for saying it'll be good to get Leon back next week. So, um. (laughs) (laughs) yeah, thanks, guys. Yeah, thanks for uh, for uh, yeah giving me a leave pass last week. (laughs) (laughs) No problems. Right, so let's kick this uh, show off. We've got uh, this week six stories. uh, The first of which is something that has caused Chris to be quite frazzled this afternoon. Um, so, uh, Chris, NT government responsible for unqualified cops on the beat. Cases could be overturned with millions in damages. National civil rights body. Yeah, Leon, that's right. So, you know, just today here, Thursday, so it's Thursday night here, um, this story uh, has come out this afternoon here, uh, early this afternoon, about, um, look, it's the uh, Civil Liberties Australia group. Um, so they've they've looked at this issue uh, with the police college, and this is going back to what Pete, you and I spoke about last week. Yeah. Um, so this thing, it just seems to keep getting worse as these things happen, and especially when governments don't, um, you know, kind of front up and explain things to the public. This is what kind of happens, but I really don't know at this point how they explain this one away. But uh, so what's happened now today is that Civil Liberties Australia has come out saying that, um, that look, essentially, yeah, the government here could be, you know, held uh, responsible for uh, these kind of unqualified or unproperly trained police officers on the beat making arrests, uh, you know, functioning as police officers where we know that you know, according to this audit, uh, the, the college had been using unqualified instructors. They did; they weren't keeping proper records of cadet training, and they could not determine who the managers were if they were fit or proper people. You remember this? And then we had, um, you know, recruits who had basic literacy and numeracy failings getting passed. And there were there were, in one in some instances they said the cadets had already taken courses before the college even knew that they were enrolled. So you, you got some some pretty serious issues here. So what we revealed here this week, though, in another story before the uh, the civil liberties uh, people took note of this was we were given also this internal police memo from 2019. So keep in mind that in 2017, so it's late 2017 that this audit is done, right? And this is into whether or not it's operating at the at the standard at the national standards of uh the qualifications agency there that 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 you know that oversees uh all uh, vocational education in the country uh and it had, it had shown that it wasn't that it was non-compliant in all the major in all the major you know factors and issues there and so now 
that was in late 2017, early 2018, by the time they get it. We now see an internal police memo from the college executive committee from late 2019. So you're looking at two years after the audit was done, which showed that the college had failed to address those issues that were raised in that audit from two years before. And in fact, maybe even more scarily than that, that they had identified that it was a significant risk that they were putting police on the beat before they had been assessed for competency. Right. And so they, they identified that as a risk, a a significant risk, because what was happening there is, you know, as we were discussing that they weren't keeping proper records, they, the, the, the trainers themselves weren't qualified to be doing the training. Well, you've now got an issue where this continued for years. And in fact, the, the recruits would leave. And, and I think their figure was 90% of them would leave the college without being assessed for competency. So they just went on and got on the job straight away before the college could even determine whether or not they had passed or they were able and, and fit and proper to, to be a police officer. And if they understood their mm-hmm. training and what they had learned. So this is, so this is identified by the college in 2019 as being a significant risk. To they say the college, but also to the agency, to the to the anti police force, because of, of of this. So now you've got Civil Liberties Australia saying that look, we think that on the face of this, you've let you've let inadequate and or uncertified officers who are unfit to do their jobs out in public. You know that they, they mentioned firearm training having been carried out by unqualified. Uh, instructors, they say civil liberties is saying, look, the right of anti-police officers to carry weapons and to fire them is now questionable. Only people certified, police officers included, have the right to bear and use firearms. That's the law. They're talking about if um, well, look, he, he said and, and so um, this is the president, uh, Bill Rawlings, he said uh, every court case of the past few years decided on evidence recorded and given by police may be called into question if, in fact, the police were not real police and that they lacked the required qualifications. And, of course, the, the, the police minister, Nicole Madison, uh, police commissioner, Jamie Chalker and, and Michael Gunner, chief minister, have not said anything. Now, they've been sent questions at every step along the way. They've been notified if they claim they somehow, again, didn't know about this audit and then this internal document. Um, well, they do know not when we've laid everything out for them once again, which we do. And then somehow, I guess, mm-hmm. emails gone missing and they can't respond. But look, Civil Liberties Australia is saying they're possibly leaving the territory and taxpayers with huge potential liabilities. If something has not been done correctly in the past, every day that goes by without government correction increases the quantum of the culpability and the potential financial liability and damages. So that's the whole thing right now. And and look, he's thrown out here. He said, look, if a person has died at the hands of an NT police officer who was not certified to carry and fire the weapon, well, then the NT government as employer will be up for massive damages. This is, this is the kind of stuff here, guys. Like this is where I think we're getting into this, uh, almost a constitutional issue, right? And and this is what I think we were alluding to last week before I even knew the full significance of what happened on Friday, last Friday. And we'll get into some of that stuff, but I'm starting to see this as a fundamental failure of one of the basic tenets of, of, of responsible government, and that being the ability for the government to protect 
the public and to keep its citizens safe. <laughs> when you've got issues now like this, where we have to seriously question the training and the competency level of every police officer out on the road, uh, I don't know how people are feeling safe. And, and we know that there have been failings with the, uh, with, you know, just crime overall, right? And you've got, you've got, we'll get into the DPP in a minute here, Director of Public Prosecutions and what's going on there. I mean, they don't even have people in that office now after the resignation of the director and the, uh, and the deputy that, uh, that can file certain documents at the Supreme Court. You know, they've, they've wow. lost people here for over a year that they haven't replaced. And just recently, in, we, in the past few weeks, a lot of senior people who've either resigned, moved on, or on some sort of uh, leave, uh, some extra long leave. So they actually don't have qualified people to do certain things in DPP. And their, their job is for the prosecution, right, to provide a, pro a proper and fit prosecution service for the people of the Northern Territory. And so there are questions there. And we can get into that a little bit more a little later on but i'm just seeing all of this coming as and you know now the questions about the police you've got issues that we've raised about you know building non-compliance in a lot of places including at tio stadium i think that the and you know those homes out in um, bellamac that weren't properly certified and that you know they let people stay in in cyclones i don't know i think the argument's starting to be made that um that this government's failing to protect its citizens and keep them safe. Mm. Well, that, uh, I was interested to, to read that part about uh, this civil liberties guy saying that uh, if police are let on, loose in the territory with inadequate training, um, that the government could uh, be found to be culpable and uh, potentially cases being thrown out. I mean, that's that's pretty full on. Yeah. And look, we, we don't know at this point. I mean, who uh, somebody's going to challenge it something at some point now that this yeah. has all come out. And this is this is what I mean. Like, my God, the, the incompetence here. Right. Like if you if something like this is going on and they know it and they've known it since 2017 at the uh, latest, I would say I would suggest that they knew before then. And so labor's in power then. So they get told this audit and I guess they just don't do anything about it. I mean, you know, not only do we have the documents with just that audit and then that internal memo about the executive committee meeting in 2019, which lays us out and is proof of what's going on, but we've then talked to sources. I mean, we've got half a dozen sources who are familiar with that place telling us the same thing. So all of them are saying the same thing. Mm. So... Yeah, look, this is a massive failure on their part to address this. And now it starts to come out. Um, this is exactly what's going to happen. Though. I mean, people are going to use this now <laughs> as a defense, as, uh, as anything. Yeah, I just, you know, and here's, here's the other thing, guys. And I'm just going to tell you, cause I was on the phone and, uh, we're going to do something. I mean, the police, the police service here, the anti police have serious morale issues we know that i mean they're that the, the, the whole thing is just it's not even a fractured force anymore they're more united everybody against the executive against jamie chalker and his cronies and you know and for now for weeks we've been getting a lot of good information and stuff and now you know they're uh out there you know we've had word that 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 they're that they've told sergeants that if anybody speaks to the NT independent, it's immediate dismissal. 
determination. Hmm. Um, you know, yeah. we've heard from others that they're actively investigating. So instead of dealing with their problems and dealing with this, and I mean, we get back to the sexual assaults that they weren't investigating and instead of, or they weren't reporting, um, you know, instead of actually focusing on that and how can we improve here, how can we, you know, provide better service to the public, they go and just try and cover it up some more. And, and this is the kind of thing, right? Like, Chalker clearly didn't want this getting out. And, um, you know, it's out. And so, and so what do they do now? Do they go and do they address this and do they fix it? The problem that's been identified and is now very public. Or do they continue to cover it up and instead go after the people who told us about it? and go after us by extension. Um, the, you know, that's just how they seem to do it. That's how the NT gov this is how the gunner government operates now is that they, they don't want to address anything. They, they bury it. They cover it up when it comes to the surface when then they find out who, who, who's involved in making that public and not getting out there. And this is not how a, a functioning democracy works. This is not how a functioning government works. And it, it's just getting worse here as we go along. And, uh, yeah, it's frustrating and it's disappointing and it's, you know, I just, yeah, I think we need a responsible government and they're, they're just not doing it because I think because they've, they've just been doing this where they thought, okay, we don't really have to do anything when we come to power here. We'll be the ministers, but the public service pretty much, you know, self-sufficient. They can just run things and we'll sit back, get our paychecks and go to press conferences and be the stars of everything and drive around in the white cars and talk about, you know, philosophical things about how we're going to do things for indigenous people. And, and they haven't done anything, just anything. They just sat back and hoped that everything would still, you know, continue to function. And it's all crashing down around them. Now. It is all coming down. And, and they don't even seem to, to get that. And if they do, they're just hiding somewhere again and hoping it all goes away like it always has. And I don't think this time it will. I think there's too much going on now. You've got these questions around the police and the police college now and, and, and unqualified cops. You've got, you know, Matt Cunningham was is writing some stories there about what's going on at the Royal Darwin Hospital and the failings there and, and the exposure to the public, putting the public at risk there. Mm. Um, everything is just crashing down here now. And then we got to see leadership at this time, but we're not. And I don't even know how they fix this cop thing, except, you know, own it and say, you know, and call for an inquiry or whatever they have to do, bring in some emergency people from interstate to actually find out what's wrong and fix this as quickly as possible. But I don't think we're going to see that kind of leadership. I think this is just going to continue and it's going to get worse for them too, guys. I'll tell you that because we've got, we've got more information than we're just talking to some people tonight about. So there's more to come on this for sure. In fairness though, in a way, um, the voting public have got exactly what they voted for. Because, you know, we talked multiple times at the last election, the, the incumbent government offered absolutely nothing. There was no policies, there was no this, there was no that, and managed to get voted back in. So what, what are people expecting them to do? <laughs> well, look, I think that that was such a uh, extraordinary election in the sense of, of the timing of it and in the middle of that pandemic, and nobody wanted to change government while there was still such uncertainty out there and it was really bad and you recall terry mills was trying to push it back further and um and gunner was adamant no 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 we're doing it now um and that's why because he knew he was he was riding that that wave of popularity for the first mm -hmm. time in his, in his four years in <laughs> so yeah i think that was uh look we can paint that 
town is, uh, you know, hysteria in a sense that, you know, we had the pandemic and people were afraid to change government in the middle of that. And what instability is there when they still didn't know what was going to happen. You do an election now, we do a poll now. I think, you know, we did this in Different result, you reckon? Yeah, and I think that, well, look, but I mean, and who knows, because, you know, I don't know if the CLP are ready to do anything here either. I think what I'm getting at here is this issue of that it doesn't matter who's in power, that this place has now been so corrupted. And the issues, you know, the the issues that are facing the government and facing the public service and just the very basic things of keeping the public safe, they're unable to do right now. Yeah. So what happens at that point, right? What happens then? Well, we're going to find out because we've got to push this thing further here. That these these cracks are are getting a, a lot bigger now, and there's no way to to patch them in. I don't think anymore. I think it's all coming out here. I think this is all falling down here, and we're going to have to fix it one way or another. And it, and 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 you know, this government especially has shown that they're not capable of doing that. And I, I, you get back to like 2016, I think if we did that now, we were doing polls back then, which I told you guys, like integrity in government was like the, the number two issue, number three issue, yeah. right? And, um, and that was really kind of crazy, but it was because of how bad that CLP government was. Uh, I think if we did that now, you'd see the same thing. I mean, you're going to have the crime, of course, still, right? And things like that. But, but the integrity in government is maybe even more important now than it was then. And, you know, Gunner came in on all that goodwill that we all afforded him to, you know, claiming that he was going to clean the place up. He's going to fix everything. And here we've seen this is all just coming down on his head. So question for you. Um, what what are some of the consequences that we're likely to see? I mean, you, you're talking about. Uh, That's what I'm. Yeah. Sorry. It's hard. It's hard to say, Pete. Like oh, that's exactly yeah. what I've been trying to find out today. So I'll know okay. more about the weekend, and um, we're going to be writing some stuff about this. But yeah, look, we it's 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 really good. And and Leon, I think you'd agree with me on this. I mean, we could have gone to some local people here about this. I think it's more valuable to go to a national body like Civil Liberties Australia that isn't you know doesn't have a vested interest in anything here. Whereas, you know, you go with some local people, as you know, like, I mean, the law society, uh, they don't want to get above the It's too difficult. Um, you know, I'll still be going to the local guys. And I've made some calls around to some lawyers today, too, about this. Uh, but, yeah, I think at this point, we need people from outside here. I think that this place, yeah, well, we all know the issues and the conflicts of interest here. But when you're when you're looking at it, so to answer your question, Pete, on what what can happen here now, well, we're trying to figure that out still. But there's going to have to be something happen. I mean, you can't just continue to bury this. Yeah. And I'm the hell in you. We got so many more stories that will come out about this that will just shock people of what's gone on in the college here and how it's been allowed to happen and how the government still runs and hides and doesn't. Yeah. So Civil Liberties Australia, Chris, I, I must admit, I'm not familiar with with those guys, although I probably should be. Um, now, you've gone out, obviously, to ask them for, you know, a comment. Do they have a dog in this fight? Because sometimes I worry about some of these organisations and, and, you know, any agenda that they might be pushing themselves. Yeah, no, look, I've, I've uh, spoken to uh, the president there, Bill Rawlings, and interestingly enough, you know, these guys put out a, a kind of newsletter every month from of different things around the country in different jurisdictions. And this one, 
their latest one I'd seen, he sent it to me when he said some, some when we sent questions, had a lot of stuff about the NT, the new ICAC commissioner, and had um, uh, the incompetent, a lot of things that we've spoken about here on the podcast. They're kind of reflecting to the rest of the country who are people who are involved with civil liberties saying, wow, yeah. look what's going on in the NT. I mean, how crazy can this get? They're banning the word incompetent from being yeah, yeah. used, you know, and uh, and all these other issues that we've raised and the issues with police and stuff. So, yeah, look, they had um, they they knew about this before I'd gotten in touch with them. And, uh, you know, he had said that he had passed it around the country to other uh, organizations to see if there was something similar in any other jurisdiction with a police college that wasn't functioning properly mm-hmm. and didn't hear back from anybody that, that they could compare it to anything else. I just think like, you know, it's, it's, and I'm, and I'm glad that they offered comment and provided comment because we do need to go outside the NT sometimes to get that perspective. Uh, you know, that's what I think. Mm. Yeah. What about, uh, what about the CLP? Have they been making any comment about any of this? Well, look, yeah, late today, now on Thursday, they have, um, uh, it's, it's odd. Uh, they're saying that, um, well, Leah Finocchiaro just sent me some lines here. They're media people saying, um, that she supports, she's standing, um, uh, behind the police, uh, and their quote, highly skilled training. We back our police and their highly skilled training. Oh, great. So I went back and I said, okay, guys, okay. you've seen the audit. That is the problem here is that there is no high <laughs> skill training being provided. Yeah. So and like, this, but this is, yeah, you see what I'm saying? So this is where I'm saying. Because they're mixed up, isn't it? Yeah, yeah exactly. that they're worried that this is, exactly. a, this is an issue that brings down a, a jurisdiction. Mm. When, the, when the people aren't safe and the cops aren't being trained properly, mm. I mean, my God, what do we have here? We, we, yeah, and that's exactly what I thought when I got. And I went back and I said, "This is yeah, and this is no. my greatest fear, Chris." You know, yeah. a complete lack of leadership from both sides of government, or well, mm-hmm. both sides of politics, I should say. You know, yeah, um, it's just oh, it's just so worrying. So now you've, our only option is to look at the independents and see what they've got to say about it. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, Leon. Look, I think that we're past, like I don't know what's going to happen here, but I'm just saying, you add up everything. Uh, I don't see it going on the way it is here. Like I, I think we're past that point. I think this place needs to be reformed. We're and, talking dismissal, Chris. Come uh, yeah, out, son. Uh, yeah, I'm talking some sort of intervention here, um, where things are brought back to what they should be and the way they should function and. Yeah. I just, they can't do it because the public service, like I said before, they're just, they're, they're growing too, too, too much. And they've grown too much over the years. They're only in it for themselves. They can't fix the problems they've created. And the, and no government can come in and do it, especially one that doesn't care to do it. That doesn't have any, doesn't feel like they have the responsibility to do it. And certainly doesn't have the skills necessary to do it. They're, they're, none of them have done anything before. They can't mm-hmm. reform the Northern Territory. They, they're relying on public servants. That's how they got into this all mess is relying on these people who've been there for that many years, who've corrupted the system and benefited from that corrupt system, and then telling them, oh, you guys keep doing what you're doing. Oh, we got problems. You fix it now for us. That's just not going to happen, and that's all that's happening right now. Mm-hmm. And so you bring in another government. Look, you know, God bless Leah and, and the CLP team, but they're not going to be able to fix this place either. No, but mm-hmm. what worries me about Leah's comments uh, is that you show a lack of leadership. We back the police. <laughs> 
you know, surely to goodness you've got to be saying something a little bit more uh, sensible than that. Yeah, well, what does that mean? You back the police when the, even when the police aren't doing the right thing? I mean, Jesus. <laughs> even the untrained ones, we back them all. Yeah, look, look, and then she said um, what's disappointing is that the Gunner government doesn't back the police and hasn't cleared the air on this issue. <laughs> so you know what that's yeah, that stinks to high heaven yeah. uh, of politics, mate. That, that smells like a statement that has been run through some CLP uh, think tank or you know media, uh, mm. you know, whatever you want to call it. Uh, yeah, and I, I want to share this, guys, just because this is this is going to get interesting. And I could go, it's funny we got into this and intend this to happen, but so they also said that. Uh, Leah also said something about confusion over, um, you know, the police shouldn't be operating under the confusion or operate under a fog of confusion of whether or not it is a compliant RTO, registered training organization, right? right? So, so I'm like, well, where's this coming from? And then after that, shortly after that, the NT Police Association, we went to them for comment on, they've come back and said, and this gets weird. The NT Police Association understand the matters raised by the NT Independent relates to a review from some time ago as to the status of the police training college as a registered training organization. That is not true. That is really? not true. This audit was done. It was an external audit that was ordered in 2017. Late 2017, it was conducted. And it was into the standards of the RTO, the RTO being the, the police college, and whether or not it met the national standards of the association, the monitors at the quality, you know, the ASQUA, ASQUA, WA. Um, and, and, and they seem to be, and this, this is like, I think what the government line will be when they're finally forced to come out and address this and said, oh, that was just into something else, but whether or not, how about the status of the registered training organization? That's not true. That is just not true. Um, this thing is an RTO, and that audit was was checking its credibility against the national standards that it had failed every single measure of. So what can I ask you a very basic question? Why would the police association say that, that it is not a registered training organisation when it is? That's what I, I I do not understand. I went back to them. I guess we're going to talk later here about this because um, I think what they're saying is that, well, look, I, I guess they're mostly worried about the liability here too for their officers and stuff. And of course, they're happy getting more and more police officers here into the union and everything else. And they're not, they don't want this kind of scandal happening with their members. And, you know, they, they said further when they're considered, whether they are considered, an RTO or not does not mean police aren't being trained appropriately, except that we've seen that they aren't being trained appropriately. It is an RTO. So, can, look, um, I just want to—I want to dissect a couple of things here because I, I must admit I don't quite fully understand this jigsaw. The police association—that is—is that a union? What is that? Yeah, yeah. The police association is the police union. Yeah. Okay, so it's a union. So, so what have members, they got to yeah. do with the RTOs? Are, are they the ones pro providing the training? Are they? No. No, no, no. Just their members. Representing guess, the members. You know, are, yeah. So, so why would they? Trained. So why would they oh, want yeah. to? Uh, you know, uh, why would they want to mislead you? Well, mislead is such a such a soft word. Why would they want to lie to oh, yeah. you about the well, fact that? Well, this uh, is 
this is why I went back to them and I said, guys, I don't know if this is what you sent other media today, but you're forgetting that I actually have the audit in my possession. Mm. And we're going to be publishing it because I think everybody should just see it because if they're going to be drawing out lines like this, which I think are government lines saying that, oh, no, that that audit wasn't into anything. That was about something else, whether or not it's an RTO. No, that audit found that there were serious shortcomings, there were serious failures, and and question whether or not police were trained properly. Okay, so is there any possibility the police union doesn't know the status of the training organization? Yeah, well, look, they should know because everybody knows. You know, after we've done the story, after we did the first story, the calls we were getting from people was crazy. Now, everybody had a story about something that happened in the college while they were there and how, you know, these people aren't qualified. They shouldn't be there. That that's huge that this has all come out. So hmm. look, whatever they're doing, I guess maybe in some misguided way, they think they're protecting their members here by, yeah. by not wanting to get to the bottom of the problem and whether or not they're trained properly. And, and so you, you said before that, you know, the police are united in their, uh, um, you know, the, I, I guess, their concerns about leadership at, at the highest level. Um, mm. Why? I just I'm trying to figure out the connection here. I mean, well, I would have thought the police union would come out and be supportive of, of this article and say, "Well, yeah, we are concerned about this training organisation and what they're doing for our members." Yeah. No. No. That's why I said something's going on. And that's why I was late here mm. tonight. I'm trying to figure this out right. because right now it doesn't make sense to me. Except that they're all scared that this is so big that. That, and that they all knew about it and they're all complicit in some way. And let me ask um, you my last question on this one. <laughs> uh, the, the question I, I, tend to, uh, you know, I tend to end almost on every single one of your articles, Chris. What are the other media outlets doing about this story? <laughs> <laughs> you know, Woody was in the office there today saying, my God, I mean, why has nobody else done anything on this yet? And like, I've gone to them and said, what do you guys need? Um, yeah. We need that audit. But we'll give you the audit. Because this is in the public interest here. So what I'm going to do is I'm just, I'm going to publish it. Mm. It should be up on the weekend. I'm just going to publish the audit and everybody, every territory can go read it and come to their own conclusions of what it is. But my God, yeah. I've read it and I quoted it and we had the first story. And then we had this other memo that, you know, added further questions over the competence level here. So yeah, let's just put it out there. I'm, 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 I think information should be free and I'll give it to everybody and we got to figure out what's going on here and we got to fix this quick. And aside from the fact of what we talked about last week, what, what sort of strikes me as quite odd is the fact that the, this line is being thrown out there of, oh, well, there was a question mark whether it was an RTO or not. <laughs> Wouldn't that in itself be a real worrying factor that that's actually being questioned? Uh, well, they can. And is, is there not some that. minimum national standard for policing that, I mean, I'm sort of sitting here going, my God, who would have thought that this could have even be a point of question? Surely a police training college, no matter what jurisdiction in Australia, would have mm. certain basic levels of competency. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what you would think, but as we show, continue to show in the Northern Territory, uh, there are no rules, there are no consequences, everything goes, anything goes here, and it's, yeah, but it's to the point here where this is affecting the public here, and yeah. we got we to gotta figure this out, so we're going to keep on it, but this is certainly growing and turning into a much bigger scandal than it even was at the beginning, it's getting worse. Yeah, yeah. okay. 
All right. Well, look, let's move on to the second story tonight in the special four and a half hour episode of Territory Story. (laughs) 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 Um, Queensland border control to be re-established with four being fined for failing to lodge entry forms. What's happened, Chris? Yeah, so this is... uh one of your favorite stories, Pete, when the people <laughs> breach the borders. Don't tell me this more. Where's our phone guy? <laughs> These people didn't have footwear. I'm going to go off. Uh, yeah, look, so this is about, uh, well, now they've, they've reestablished, you know, there was some talk about whether or not they'd have police back at the borders. We get back into police, even though they're under-resourced everywhere else. And they don't have the staff. I guess some of the boys from the college who just graduated, boys and girls, just last week, actually, you know, on the Friday, yep. they had a graduation of 26 officers or something. So I guess they're going to send them out now on the Barclay Highway to man the checkpoint at the Queensland border. Uh, and so that's in response, government says, to two cases of COVID-19, of course, were reported on the Sunshine Coast yesterday and today. Um, but it also follows these four Victorian travelers in their 60s. Uh, all four had been fined $5,000 after failing to lodge their border entry forms with the NT on Wednesday night. They had found that the, uh, this, so this is the group that had been picked up by Western Australia police, uh, as well on Tuesday and issued infringements, uh, cause they had somehow got from Victoria to WA through the NT. And, uh, <laughs> good effort, really. yeah, yeah. And this is where Gunner's saying, you know, the number plate recognition, software is all we need and everything's fine and clearly these people got through didn't have to so they find them all the five thousand bucks they said that uh, they first entered the nt this confusing to me on may 30th uh and at that time their home locations in victoria were not declared hotspots so they said there was no risk here uh to anybody but it must be made clear that the infringements have been issued for the simple fact that they didn't lodge the required forms when they came Okay. And uh, now that they presented a risk. But meanwhile, look, I guess they're afraid that, uh, that some, some people from Queensland now will be heading over here. I mean, really, I think the, the, the gate's been open and the horses have bolted here for, yeah. for months. So I don't really know what we're doing here. And, you know, and just kind of, I think, tied into that, too. The other story that we had on COVID here today was about uh, wastewater testing. Yeah, that they're going. That they've started That's the to big do one. now. Yeah, now they. I like. I swear that they said months ago, late last year, that there was no need to do it here for some reason. They just now we don't want to do it. Mm. Now they're saying they're doing it in ten different catchment areas, and that they have already, and that somehow they've been doing it for a while, but they haven't told us for how long. Yeah. And that they did find, you know, traces of COVID in uh, in water that would be in catchment areas near the Howard Springs facility, which they say is expected because okay. of yeah. the contamination there. But they're but they are monitoring the rest of it now. Um, well, at least ten locations around the top end here. So yeah, I think everything can start to you know, and then you look at uh, what Gunner was saying here, but uh, everybody needs to get the. The, the vaccine that you know the chances of getting it now everybody's coming in oh, it's a free-for-all they can't protect <laughs> us anymore yep. so uh yeah all the borders are coming down or they're mm. closing in i don't know <laughs> anyway i just think we should stop for a moment and look you know we all we all have um things that go on in our daily lives and life's not always good 
Life's not always great. Sometimes it is. Other times it isn't. You can, you know, whatever work you do. But just remember, you could be the one testing the wastewater. <laughs> That's right. I was looking for photos of that. Run. Oh, <laughs> no. Some, jo- some photos. Of people, like, the photos. Thanks. Yeah. Do you think that they actually do that? Wade into it. <laughs> <laughs> got to be a better way <laughs> there's got to be a better way indeed but uh yeah anyway that's what that's what it's come down to for now i i, I love your photo on the website uh, by the way chris you, you know you've got the welcome to the nature territory the uh, the big sign at the border then you've got a whole bunch of little blue COVID uh, viruses. Down the <laughs> yeah, I think that was a Woody original. BYO COVID. Uh, it's funny. Yeah. yeah, they are bringing it in. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, next story. The story of the week, I thought at least, but uh, I think you might want to, well, maybe it was eclipsed by the police one now, but the Northern Territory Electoral Commission released their report on the last election and <coughs> Labor did not contest a tightly a, a tight Barclay election result despite raising allegations of fraudulent uh, postal votes. Yeah. Wonder why. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, you know, like, like, you know, they pointed out in the report here and so this is the Anti-Electoral Commission's final report into everything that was the, the 2020 anti-general election. And, I mean, there's a lot in there, and there's stuff that's been uh, traversed already through other media about some of the more general things about, uh, you know, um, publicly funded campaigns, et cetera, like this. But, I, you know, I always feel that we owe the reader something a little bit more, that when these reports come out, it's you might as well dig right into it. And it's going to take you some time, and that's just how it's got to be. But find some stuff in there that uh, the public have a right to know about that they would never see. And a lot of journalists just kind of glaze over and think, oh, well, whatever, I happen to know how politics works here. So I think that gives me an advantage when I start reading these things. But And, and this one you know, just stuck out to me at first right away. And this is because, you know, there was a lot of talk about this at the time. So now keep in mind that in Barclay, uh, just you guys recall how, how tight that was and that Steve Edgington, a CLP member, he only won by five votes in the end. Yeah. And at the time, there was a lot of questions being raised because Sid Vashist at one point, so, they, so the lead had changed multiple times over 13 days, the NTUC report finds. And I recall he was leading by uh, Sid Vashist, the Labour candidate, was actually leading by more than 100 votes for a number of those days. And it was down to the wire here on the last day. Uh, the, the, the numbers came in, the postal votes and the declared votes. And yeah, come to find out, the lead evaporated. Uh, and on September 4th, when they were declared, uh, Edgington had a five vote win. Now, so this is what's crazy in this whole thing. So, so the report points out that this is actually the tightest, you know, election result, the most marginal victory in the history of Australian politics that has not, that has not gone to the court of disputed returns. Wow. So now you've got to ask yourself, like I'm reading, I'm like, oh, okay, so why? Yes, why didn't why? I go to the... Yeah. Okay, so here's what we know from, from looking at this. Now, there's stuff in the report here about this, and I guess that's the first way to start it is Labor had filed a complaint 
about the CLP during the, the Barclay election. And, um, and of course, the CLP filed a complaint about labor. So, uh, but then there was another complaint filed about labor that, that only we reported on at the time. And I think that that's where we're getting at here with this issue is that they didn't want some things coming out. Right. But so here's, so labor filed a formal complaint with the NTC alleging the postal votes collected and they're very specific postal votes collected in the Barclay electorate from NT Cattlemen's Association members quote, including those hand-delivered more than a week after the polls had closed were fraudulently completed, right? So, and, and I think, and then the complaint also alleged that some or all of the Barclay postal votes received from Monday, August 24th, that was the Monday after the Saturday poll had closed, were cast after the deadline of the Saturday and declarations on the back of the postal vote envelope were fraudulently completed. So... But it's a very specific, I mean, that's a more general one, but the first part is very specific. It's about just empty cattlemen's association members yeah. in the Barclay electorate and, and, and ballots and votes that were hand-delivered more than a week after the polls had closed. I think it was, yeah, gotten on, um, you know, 10 days, 11 days, 12 days, right? So now keep in mind, they're called postal votes. <laughs> for a reason not hand delivered notes yeah <laughs> so um that one is a little suspect now of course that the ntc looked into that um they found that uh that those cattlemen's association members uh, ballots they concluded that that there were five of them uh that had been hand delivered to the darwin office so they flew them up from darwin or from, from Barclay to, to Darwin on August 31st, uh, had all been declared correctly. Now, that's really all the information that we have on that. We'll probably find out some more later on, maybe next week. Uh, yeah, they didn't explain really how postal votes can be hand-delivered, but I imagine maybe there's something in there. Uh, despite those five hand-delivered votes, <laughs> and now keep in mind, that's the difference between victory here, right? But uh, yeah. they said that they've, they checked them and they thought that they were declared correctly. But despite those ones being counted, uh, a total of 227 return postal votes in the electorate were not counted because the, the declaration was dated or timed after 6 p.m. on August 22nd, or where the date and time was not stated at all. Uh, and just over half of those postal votes were received from prisoners. And uh, he goes into... Some detail there about how, yeah, the, the, the prisoners weren't too good at filling out their forms properly. How stupid do you have to be that you date it after the date of the election? Well, in some cases, they're probably just telling the truth. <laughs> <laughs> well, like something well, they're not used to. <laughs> yeah, and this is this is what we uh, this is what we we talked about uh, before, right? Is that this was the first year where you didn't need a, a witness for these postal votes. Yeah, these postal ballots. Uh, so I think that that's an experiment. I, I don't think that I know they're trying to say things. And look, we'll, we'll we'll get the commissioner on and have a word with him about that next week, hopefully, and and then we can talk about that further. But um, really, I mean, the only thing stopping the voters from completing the ballot after knowing preliminary results was their own conscience. There was yeah. really no other checks or balances. So yeah, make it that what you will, and whether or not parties could, you know, 
no one election night that, okay, well, this is going to be a tight one. Let's get the hell out there and start rallying yeah. the troops and get these mm-hmm. votes and ballots. And so I'm not saying that's what happened. They didn't find anything here, but the possibility is always there. So, and then I want to get into that a little further, but I should go back and just explain what the CLP's complaint was. So, so they complained that in some of these uh, remote polling booths that, uh, uh, what do they call them? The attester. So this is somebody who's a declared uh, voter who can, um, I guess, attest essentially or confirm the identity of someone who's not enrolled in lieu of accepted evidence of identity. Yeah. So they were saying that, wait a second, same person's been attesting, you know, confirming for all these people what's going on yeah. here. But uh, the NTEC looked into that too determined that there was no limit to the number of times one attester can act in that capacity. Yeah. So they kind of, they kind of dropped that. And then it got back into, um, to these issues now, um, about the postal, about the postal votes. Now, one of the things here that labor did, so, so they raised this complaint and they're basically alleging that they were fraudulently completed forms and they were done after the date. And they couldn't find any evidence of those five. But I don't think they looked at the other 227. Uh, well, I guess, you know, most all those ones were, were expired because they could tell, you know, that they were dated after the fact yeah. or yeah. had other issues. But uh, the problem here is that Labor had actually raised um, these kind of allegations before. They weren't specific. We didn't know exactly what they were saying or that they were blaming it all on the Cattlemen's Association members, basically yeah. saying that they interfered in the election. Um, but of course, there was a complaint. So they're talking about uh, postal votes, but there was a complaint filed against them. Now, this wasn't in the report. I'm not sure it went to NTEC. I think it went to the ICAC. And what we understand was that it went to the ICAC. Now, that was a complaint for using government resources to solicit postal vote applications. So this is where they used the NT government email server um, uh, where yeah. it said like uh, labor at nt.gov.au and they put it in all of their candidates mail outs and said if you want a, a postal ballot email us at this right but then yeah. but then that gets t- taken down because we started asking questions about it yeah. somebody had sent it to us and we said what's going on here well then it just disappears this email account mm-hmm. i'd send questions to it one day and then the next day I sent it back and, the, and it came back like couldn't, it was undeliverable, but it had first been delivered, right? So yeah. it was there, but you've got an issue now because you've got, you've told people that they can get postal ballots by going to this thing. And then when they go there, if they're not getting responses or stuff, I mean, what happened yeah. and they did use it and, it and it would violate the Electoral Act because they're using government resources, which they're not allowed to do during the election. Yeah. So we'll see where that comes. But I think all of this stuff, and I went to Erin early, the president of the Labor Party, she didn't respond as to why the close election results in Berkeley were not challenged in the court of disputed returns. And the NTC report, election report says this is the smallest margin of any federal or state or territory election that has not been referred to the relevant court of disputed returns. Wow. So I think we can all, and even look, and even this in 1987, and this is funny, a little bit of history here. The anti-Labor Party challenged and went to the Court of Disputed Returns in the same electorate of Berkeley when former wow. Chief Minister Ian Tuxworth beat the Labor candidate by 19 votes, and they were successful. They had the results overturned. They did a by-election, and then Tuxworth won anyway. But, you know, they, they did it, and they won't do it now. So the question is that. I mean, why, why wouldn't they? Why wouldn't they, really, unless yeah. they were afraid of something else coming out? 
during mm, that. That, the is, that is intriguing, isn't it? Yeah, it I is. thought that's politics NT style for you right there because something's gone on. I Something's mean, Sid, more definitely going on. Well, have you, maybe you should contact Sid. Is it Sid Vashit, the uh, Labour guy? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, maybe you should, because, I mean, if you, if you were Sid, you'd be pretty annoyed, surely, that, you know, uh, your party didn't challenge an election that was a result that was eminently winnable. He's a company man, Leon. He's uh, a company man. They right. got him a job up here in Darwin. He's working uh, for them on the right. fifth floor. I've got another question for you, too, Chris. Yeah. What's how, that? how does a bloke called Sid Fascist end up on the left hand side of politics? It's <laughs> <laughs> an awesome name, man. I love that. that is, uh, that's a classic, mate. I got to give that one to you. Fascist. <laughs> <laughs> I was actually thinking about Sid Vicious, but you know, it's uh, more than my connotation, clearly. I'm picturing a similar type haircut. Similar. <laughs> anyway. But, um, um, but uh, look, that's, this, is a, this story is a good segue into or a good promo for next week's podcast pete because yeah, um we're going to get uh, the other logan nathan on the podcast <laughs> and by that time yeah, Chris would have had good. an opportunity to go through the 200 page report pete <laughs> that i know you'll be uh, reading closely <laughs> oh, yourself page by page <laughs> yeah yeah no i've gone i've gone through it I've, that's how i got that one but uh yeah there's still another story i want to get out first and then i want to have a good chat with ian about everything oh, so. yes <laughs> yes yes well I, I heard ian being interviewed on on katie wool's show the other day and uh Yep. I, I got to say, there's a lot to talk about in that report, and I uh, think yeah, most yeah. territorians uh, would be extremely interested in some of the proposals being made. Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be good. All right. Well, let's move on to another story now that seems to uh, continue to hang around week after week. <laughs> and uh, the Darwin Turf Club grandstand scandal continues. With records contradicting, contradicting the uh, turf club chairman's claims that he was not involved in discussions about the grandstand. <laughs> oh yes, our old friends over at the turf club continue to not respond to us either. I guess they're taking Labor's approach here, but of course this is uh, doesn't stop us. We've got information, we've got documents here, and, and we're kind of rolling this out. You know, this is all part of this series that we've been doing. And the first one, of course, was where, when we spoke about that last week, where um, it was revealed that the board was not aware that the chairman, Brett Dixon, was lobbying the government for this $12 million taxpayer-funded grandstand. They didn't know until, you know, a June meeting when when they were told by him, oh, yeah, we've got the $12 bucks in the can here, so... <laughs> We're going to do it. We're going to build a grandstand. They're like, well, what is this grandstand? We've never heard. And, you know, and, and they're asking questions and they're genuinely confused about this. Well, now the second story here is about how, how after that fact, <laughs> so it goes to, uh, so they start saying, oh, there's a conflict of interest. Now, on the, at that June meeting, when Dixon reveals all to the, uh, to the board that they're getting a grandstand, for 12 million bucks in taxpayer money. Uh, he also then gets involved, right? And he starts appointing people to be involved with on the turf club side of the thing. And he, he starts saying and doing things. He starts sending drawings to engineering firms. Mm. Maybe you shouldn't be doing that when you're doing, uh, when you know you're going to put a bid in for it in your company, JTEX here. So, so what happens is, uh, they then say, well, you 
not what happens. So he announces it at the June meeting, and then it's the first week of September, end of August, it's announced that JTEX is the winning bidder for this contract. You know, Brett Dixon's company, and he's the chair, but he had nothing to do with it. And he tells the ABC, he says, uh, look, I've removed myself from all Darwin Turf Club meetings that had anything to do with the project or the tender process. I've been in complete blackout since the project manager was appointed, that he, uh, you know, essentially appointed. And I had nothing to do with putting the tender or the panel together, except that we've got minutes to show that he was making comments on the panel. And he thought, oh, this will be a good panel and they'll be very objective. He was involved in all of the meetings until the last one when it was disclosed. Well, according to the minutes, let's say, to the last one when it was disclosed that that the JTEX was the winning bidder. <laughs> um, all of these documents from meetings in June and July, especially the July one was a big one. I mean, the July meeting on July 30th board meeting that, that Dixon was there and involved with making comment and where they talked about the grandstand was 15 days after the tender had been had gone out to, you know, for public interest here to get the bids in. So he's claiming, he's telling the ABC in September 2019, I had nothing to do with anything, no discussions, I removed myself. No, that's not right. These minutes show that he was there at these two minute, at these two meetings before the contract was awarded, and especially July 30th when it was open. The tender was open. He had queried the project manager, Damian Moriarty, uh, at one point, he had said, Were you working with Sean Drabsch? Uh, he's the Department of Business CEO. Now, why is, why is he asking these kind of questions? To which Damien advised that he had mostly been working with another guy from the department, Jason Finley. Now, here's where it gets weird. So he asked the chairman, it says this in the minutes, the chairman requested a basic update of the project plan. Now, he was informed at that time the update of the project plan included information that was to be provided by prospective tenderers. Yep. So you should not have been asking for that information. Right. Now, what we don't know and what's unclear is if Dixon received that update before his company submitted his application to build the project. But this is these are these little issues here that if they're not watching these things... Um, questions get raised about, you know, the whole process and whether they've done this properly. So in another instance, of course, Dixon's noted in the minutes uh, informing the board that the Turf Club's consultants, uh, that their work on the new grandstand was taking precedence on their time with, with other matters. So he's dictating, he's telling people where they should all be, how they should be doing this thing. He later noted that it was critical that it, the grandstand's completed by June 2020. So he's again putting deadlines on things here. Right. Now, the question is whether or not that advantaged him. Does that advantage JTEX, his company that has a, a deeper knowledge of some things here, or would seem? <laughs> um, yeah, he talks about the uh, the selection panel that was set up. Uh, he then and then he does this too. So he moves to approve money to pay Damien Moriarty for his work as tender manager on the Grandstown project. So he appoints Mari Moriarty in June, but Moriarty later becomes the project manager on behalf of the Turf Club of the Grandstown, right? And so Dixon at some point says that he advises that the executive field that Damien deserves some financial recognition for his work and a tax invoice for 30K was tabled. And uh, the chairman noted the 30K for work up till the end of August, it's not excessive by any means. Now, it, just before that had happened, it had come out that Damian Moriarty was on the selection panel. 
who'll be making the decision on the contract. So is that really appropriate that then the chairman's giving them 30K? It's like, this is just crazy. Wow. Some of this stuff that went on. And I don't know if they're, if I don't know if these people just don't understand what they're doing or they did it anyway and they just well, didn't they, care. And they knew. Yeah. So anyway, there's, there's uh, all of this stuff. Look, they wouldn't, they wouldn't respond to any questions. And of course, a lot of that has to do with questions where whether or not they had executed their duties to the best of their ability as board members of a nonprofit organization and in accordance mm-hmm. with the Associations Act, right? They've clearly not done some things here that they probably shouldn't and take uh, all of the time um, that they should have or, or paid attention to the details here. And again, we're going to get out to the next story here that's coming out too about what the board was thinking when when that selection panel came back and said it was JTEX, I can tell you, and that story will be out by the time this, this runs. Um, they, uh, they knew it didn't pass the pub test. So this is this woman, Anya Lorimer, who runs this campaign edge throat, uh, you know, PR company or whatever. And they do territory Q magazine. She's the publisher of that. She writes about herself every week in that. Um, so she's the one and she says she's on the board and she on the turf club board and she says, well, this does not pass the pub test. And I think, and I'm pretty sure this is going to go to the ICAC, but I support it. I happily support this. We should give yeah. it to Brett Dixon and JTEX. Like you just wonder what they were thinking. Like, like some of the yeah. comments that are made are just, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, People can read about that, but look, there, there are serious questions still being raised over how this was handled and, and whether or not it was done above board. Right. And uh, when are Putin's men planning on joining the board? <laughs> 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 They've been given life memberships <laughs> starting from uh, this, this year's Cup Carnival. You'll see a Russian flavor in town. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah well, it's just look there, there's there's a lot more to come on this too guys and and it's gonna get it gets really interesting here and especially you know near the end here when we'll have a story and so this will all be wrapped up by the end of next week and um there's a story uh definitely about the anti-government's failures here to do what they should have done and um yeah you can see here where they're asking where dixon's asking about the government's involvement and sean draps and stuff that's odd and we can explain that a little bit better here in the stories that come and and um yeah exactly how the anti-government let let the public down here you know not just by giving the 12 million bucks which was crazy and was unbudgeted for right and just Hmm. a, a surprise to everybody but also what they could have done to ensure that things were done better here and they they dropped the ball on that so a lot more a few more stories to come out on this and it'll get good i'm sure even better don't get too caught up in the 12 million though chris because as we all know <laughs> money is cheap oh uh, god yeah i guess especially when you don't have <laughs> right oh well uh next story chaos in the dpp shock resignations of director and deputy director follow mass exodus now, this story, you know, is coming in the same week as a story about the police. Yeah. Right. So, so we've got police who may not be properly trained, mm. and now we're going to have a uh, public prosecutions that is bereft of anybody to prosecute criminals, potentially. Yeah, Leon, that's what I'm hearing from everybody here. Now, 
I think a lot of people, you know, the timing of this, right? And I think we'll we'll mention that briefly in the next little bit. But uh, the timing of this was very curious, coming the same day that uh, the, uh, the the Zach Rolf matter was up uh, in court. There, where uh, Jamie Chalker had some embarrassing allegations made about him withholding evidence and. And, you know, accusations made of, uh, of a deputy commissioner, Nick Antisich, and his involvement with the charges and uh, how they tried to, uh, you know, allegedly bury evidence here. And then, well, and then a couple hours later, you got the director of public prosecutions, Jack Kraszewski, and his deputy director, Matthew Nathan, both announcing that they're leaving their roles, essentially resigning. Uh, now... Even all of that, I guess, you know, some people, like, I, I think, like, Leon, you would, you would know that that's pretty big. You got the director and the deputy director leaving right away, but, but that's not the whole story here. And they didn't even get into that, but we're talking about other very senior uh, prosecutors in that office. So Stephen Gary's one who was appointed magistrate last week. John Ibbotson has been there a long time, another senior crown prosecutor resigned. Um, there were three prosecutors with varying levels of experience. I'm told that at least two of them were considered senior, who have either recently resigned or taken long service leave. Of course, these departures all follow uh, the departure of senior prosecutor David Mortars, who everybody would know as uh, the guy who, uh, well, he took a lot of their big high-profile cases, a lot of fraud. McRoberts, he's the one who did that. Dutrum, the NT News scandal, and... Uh, yeah, and then you've got Steve Robson and Alice Springs, another very senior prosecutor and someone who's been there for many years. Those those two positions still hadn't even been replaced. Now, I'm also told that, uh, that look, that they don't have um, senior enough people to file certain documents with the Supreme Court at this point. Like, they need... And because they don't have a director right now, uh, they'd have to get the attorney general or the police commissioner to sign some documents because... They've appointed, Krzyzewski's appointed this um, this woman here, Victoria Engel. Not familiar with her, but by all accounts, pretty competent. Um, so she's stepping in as deputy director, but of course there is no director and she can't sign certain documents. So, yeah, yeah look, they say that they've, uh, they've put out a ad here. They're going to replace, but uh, this points to some other issues here, right? Now, first... Let's just get the Khrushchevsky thing out of the way first. So he's taking extended personal leave from the end of this month. He will then um, retire from the role later in the year. They said, uh, we understand he had had some health concerns here. Uh, and that's why he's gone now. The other guy, Matthew Nathan, the deputy, he is accepted a new role with what they're calling a prosecution firm in New Zealand. Uh, he was now, this gets weird. So he's leaving the end of the month. Now he was the lead prosecutor in the Ben Hoffman trials. Mm. There's still to come up. So don't know what's going to happen there. Uh, he just said he wanted to go back to New Zealand. That's his homeland. He wants to raise his children there. Okay. Well, that's that, except that, you know, it raises some serious questions of public's confidence here and what's going on because not just the director and deputy director leaving at the same time at the end of the month, but then all these other senior people leaving and what the hell's going on. Now, they don't address that. And in fact, we see that Selena Yubo, the attorney general, has an acting chief executive officer of the department there. That's the Department of Attorney General and Justice, an acting chief executive who's been acting for some time in that role. So not permanent. So even like the department 
clearly doesn't have its its personnel sorted and uh yeah unable to do this and you know i saw the opposition today was again saying you know tying these kind of things into uh into the corrections department where scott mcnairn the commissioner has been on extended leave for a very long period of time here for reasons not entirely clear i think those will be clear by the end of this month maybe um but yeah there's some issues and some other senior positions and and corrections that haven't been done but yeah, getting back here to DPP, I think that we need and deserve an effective, uh, uh, you know, prosecution service here, um, especially with this out of control crime that's going on, you know, all these other issues that, 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 that continually come up. But now what confidence do they have if they can't even file proper documents because they don't have senior enough people there? And what the hell is going to happen in court here with this? And yeah, I'm, I'm concerned. I'm concerned. I think this goes to the public's faith and and everything in its institutions yet again. And 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 they don't. They didn't even come out right. You wouldn't even come out and do this. They put it in a press release, and we sent questions to her and Gunner. They didn't respond. And those were the kind of questions along. Now, like, what's what's going on here? Though you've lost a lot of senior people in there. Yeah. So no answers, no leadership yet again. And uh, here we are. What else is new? But. Like I'm saying, this is all part of the syndrome here. It's all uh, a symptom of the bigger problem. And, and uh, uh, I think it's got to be corrected some way. There's got to be a way to do this. It's all, you know, it's all on its way down. So mm-hmm. uh, we'll sit back and see. But, yeah, not a lot of, not a lot is, of confidence. I, I do find it a little bit unusual that the, that the top guy and the deputy resign. I mean, generally in these sort of organizations, they yeah, have a succession that, plan, you know, and the deputy yeah. wouldn't normally do that unless there were some serious reasons to do that, you know, because they wouldn't want to leave the organization in the lurch like this. Yes, and that's exactly what they've done without acknowledging that. They haven't even acknowledged It's like, oh, here's two coincidences, but they both have to get the hell out of town by June 30th. Like, okay, well, yeah, no, I don't think so. I think, uh, and look, I'm not saying that anything's gone on, but it does You get people asking questions when this kind of stuff happens like this. So we'll see. Hmm. Well, we should probably segue to the last story because we touched on it just there and it uh, relates to the Zach Rolf trial and uh, the judge has rejected suppression order on claim. <laughs> It's, sorry. Uh, yeah. Can you at least let me get it out before you? Yeah. Sorry, Pete. I just it's such a long week, and then I'm thinking like Jesus Christ. But yeah, finish it for people so they know. But Jesus Christ, this happened. So judges uh, rejected suppression order on claims that Jamie Chalker and senior police kept reports from the defence team. It happened. But not only did it happen, so this is in the middle of all of this other stuff, right? Now we've we've already kind of touched on this before from a couple of weeks ago when. I think we were the only ones who reported it here in the NT. Seriously, that mm-hmm. that you know this had happened. That that the Chalker knew about these reports, which the defense team claims are crucial to their defense and their argument. Crucial. Uh, he knew about them and he didn't give them to them. And in fact, they didn't know about them, and neither did the DPP until somebody told them about these reports, which are now known as the Pollock reports and that's a reference to superintendent scott pollock who had been there for a while 
with police and is a well-respected officer and senior. And he was doing some investigations on behalf of the coroner into the death of, uh, of Jay Walker and Uendamu, um, the shooting. And what comes out in court here now is that they, they stopped Pollock from doing his report. Now, we're not sure exactly, but the defense did allude to the fact that there's some stuff in there about training, which is interesting. Um, But it appears, and what what the defense's uh, team said, so Zach Rolf's lawyers had said that that these Pollock reports, who were done by very senior officers, see, when this started, they were calling them the Benuto reports to DPP yeah. and I'm like what's going on here I don't who's Benuto like, like Dennis Denudo. <laughs> yeah. so well it is, is Kirk Benuto Benuto he's they're calling them the Benuto reports and what the hell's going on here I thought we were talking about the Pollock reports and somewhat familiar with those now uh well come to find out they took the Pollock reports and they gave them to a very junior guy named Benuto and said, here, you start editing these and rewriting this, and we'll call it the Benuto Report, and then no one can find the Pollock Report. Seriously, this is what's alleged and has gone on here, and they covered this up from, from the defense and from the prosecution, so nobody knew about these Pollock Reports until somebody tips off. And like I said a couple of weeks ago, like this is, I think, you're, you're looking at. Uh, Jamie Chalker has a lot of leaks coming against him from people in, in the ranks of police uh, who clearly at every step try to undermine him by leaking against him. This right. looks like what's happened in this case. And, uh, but here's, here's the thing. So, so, you know, last or a couple of weeks ago when this came up, we did the story and we got like, you know, 10,000 views. Like it was like, it was being shared all over the place. It was a very well-read story. And, uh, and uh, Chalker would appear, was embarrassed and uh, had a plan this time for when he got in and, and this had happened. So uh, what happened here? So so it comes up and uh, Edwardson here, uh, that's David Edwardson, who's Rolf's lawyer, says, uh, well, wait a second here. We, you know, you withheld these reports. Uh, he said that these Pollock, reports had um had considered the reports made by the prosecution's two expert witnesses or two star witnesses um and he had set out in his report or it started to why those expert opinions were misconceived ill-informed and wrong and that that was not disclosed to the defense that this report happened he said but it gets much worse than that he says assistant commissioner nick antisich it would seem, who was instrumental in the charges preferred against my client, is the person who ultimately stopped the progression of that report because it was inconsistent with the case that they wanted to present, that is, the prosecution case. Mm. <laughs> so it was at that point, well, BPP, uh, Crown Prosecutor Sophie Callan jumps up and she makes the application to the court for a suppression order so that we, the media, cannot report on what Edwardson has just accused Chalker of, right. which is basically bearing evidence. Um, and it's hard to defend this thing. I mean, and we still haven't got a defense on it. So, so then they, they argue this, and there's a lawyer for News Corp who shows up. I'm not sure if the NT News sent him or the Australian, because the Australian's been doing a better job reporting on it. And then 
the NT news. But anyway, there was a lawyer there. Uh, Edwardson's argument, you can't quarantine and hide or conceal reports that go to the very issue that the jury will have to consider. This will all come out in the, in the trial, which is scheduled for next month. And of course, they were saying that this would pollute or, you know, kind of taint the, uh, the jury pool here, thinking that if they have this preconceived idea that Chalker had, had you know, knowingly withheld evidence. So anyway, the judge doesn't buy it. Uh, he throws it out. He says, I don't propose to make a non-publication order. I don't believe that the matters that are being raised are likely to affect the jury panel, and therefore I don't propose to make any order at all. So he threw that out, and because of that, we, we were allowed to report this story. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we're in a place where, we are in a place where, with this police commissioner too, where the commissioner of police is caught out in court allegedly hiding evidence in a murder trial. Denying the existence of the evidence, too. Yeah, and then when that allegation is made, gets them to suppress, do a suppression order so we can't report on that. That's how these guys operate. That's how this guy, Jamie Chalker, operates. That's how his best mate, Michael Gunner, operates. This is, yeah, that's what I'm saying. All of this was coming out on Friday afternoon, and it's like, oh, my God, like I had to read the, I'm reading the transcript from the uh, from the hearing, and then the DPP's resigning, and, uh, and Chalker's trying to get suppression orders so the public doesn't know what he's been up to. Yeah. Like, it's just it's just crazy the arrogance that that takes to do that. I mean, but look, here we are, I and mean, this is a guy who who let this police college be run like that when he knew it was unqualified instructors. So it's crazy. Yeah. So let me preface my comments with the fact that I'm not a criminal lawyer. Right. Um, But if there is a a report that has been compiled um, that refutes the evidence expected to be given by the prosecution (laughs) star witness and that report is compiled by, uh, you know, a a member of the police. Well-respected member of the police too. Right. The proper thing to do, as I understand it, is to provide that report and then provide your own witnesses as to why, you know, that report should not be given any weight. That's how you <laughs> deal with these things in court generally. Well, that's the proper way. Yeah. yeah you, you, you don't, <laughs> first of all, deny the existence of the report. I mean, that is, that's just alarming. Uh, but, and then secondly, uh, you know, say that uh, you want to rely on legal professional privilege. I mean, I just... I don't understand that. Yeah, yeah. There's some, look, there's still some technical arguments that they're all sorting through. Uh, and this will come back up again because, of course, he's been forced to hand over redacted versions. But he's saying that there are notes in there between officers that would count as the, the legal professional privilege that, you know, that they had approached DPP during their investigations for advice uh, as they were investigating and that that would fall under that. Uh, right, legal professional okay. privilege but there you know yeah these things we'll see what happens here because that yeah i think later this month it might come back here and we'll get an idea of whether or not that what the judge's decision is going to be on releasing you know the unredacted because all they've got are parts of it now they don't even know right. everything and like they said he should have been put on the dpp's witness list too mm-hmm. um pollock who had done these reports but it, yes. it appears the dpp didn't know about it either so, yeah, yeah. And well, then, there's, a, there's, a, there's a thing called the model litigant, right? 
Uh, I, I don't know if you're familiar with that uh, phrase, Chris. Oh, yeah, of course. The government is supposed to be the model it again. But never That's right. Court action, uh, they do. Yeah. And what that means is that they're supposed to act beyond reproach. Uh, you, you know, and, and that's what it means, Pete. So, you know, that the, the conduct of litigation is supposed to be beyond reproach. They're supposed yep. to be, um, you, you know, not uh, not obstructionist, you know, carry on like, you know, someone who is of a very high, you know, morals and, and, mm. and very high um, standards. Mm. Yeah. What, what this story is showing is that, um, that, that's not happening, at least in relation to this case. Uh, and it's, it is concerning. I have to say, I, I, was, I was going through it in more detail as you were uh, talking, Chris. And I, I, <laughs> yeah. I, I, look, I think Dean Mildred's made the right decision in this situation. Um, oh, look, I think any time that you make the decision that the public has a right to know what's yeah. gone on in the court here, I think that's the right decision. And the fact that this police commissioner would try to not only cover up the evidence, deny its existence, but then try to cover up his, his being implicated in, in doing just that. Man, that, that offends me on every level. Like oh, this, it's no good. I, anyway, you know, like, look, I, I honestly, I don't know how he continues on with the job. And I don't, we won't get into a lot of discussion about the, the, the court case here because it's still before the court and, the, you know, the trial is supposed yep. to start in July. But um, and we'll let them do what they do best. But uh, but I think this mixed with the police college, mixed with a whole bunch of other things that Chalker's done, I don't see how his position is tenable anymore. I mean, he, he doesn't have the confidence of his own force, right? Like I'm telling you, <laughs> those people are leaking against him. <laughs> um, he has not commanded their respect, and it all started that first week when you know this role thing happened. It all started from there. And it's gone on, and uh, yeah, they're furious with him. And I don't see when this stuff comes out like this. You know, he's he's gone around, like I said, heavy-handedly. You know, told them not to talk. They can't criticize the police. You know, rank and file, and they can't they can't voice their opinions at any time about this. Where you know, the majority of them back Zach Rolf on this, and um, and think that he hasn't in this. But then when these stories come out, where he's you know, appears to have you know buried evidence, withheld its existence. Um, I, I don't know how he goes on. I mean, do you, do you, do you guys understand that? Like, how how can he go on? Doesn't have well, as a lawyer, I'm scared. People. As a lawyer, I'm scared. I mean, if I I couldn't imagine being in a situation like that. It would just it's frightening. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you just it's not something you do. Uh, mm-hmm. you, you can't be bearing evidence. I mean, you know, gosh, the, the whole justice system is is put at risk when you do things like that. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Well, he's done that to the justice system, but he's already done that to the police system with the college and not fixing issues there and, and killing morale and, you know, and demanding that they stand up. Like, how many people have we heard this from now? That, that demanding that when he enters a room, they all rise and salute him oh, and really? stuff. Yes. Yeah. And none of the other commissioners have ever done anything like that. They've always, wow. you know. Yeah. Okay. This is what we're dealing with. Uh, you, you talked about loss of confidence, and I was immediately reminded of your story. Uh, well, for, for two weeks ago, and I wouldn't wouldn't mind getting a bit of an update. Mick Dodson is uh, <laughs> where is he at? And well, uh, is the chief was... minister still? Uh, what's his confidence level in relation to that situation? <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> look, yeah, I've been I've been chasing other things here, but I know I think um I think Matt Cunningham was reporting tonight now that <laughs> that Dodson has extended his leave. <laughs> he was supposed to come back today, mm-hmm. Thursday. He's now extended his leave as the NT government tries to negotiate his resignation. Uh, his lawyer again, David De Silva. Uh, says an announcement of about his future was imminent. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, yeah, look, the opposition's still putting that pressure on him. Uh, you take him the two weeks off. Uh, we do a parliament coming up here in a couple of weeks. Estimates start uh, next week, actually. This yes, month, yes. June's flying by. Mm. Jesus, that's going to be a busy week next week with estimates. Um, so, and like, yeah, the COP had said that they'll put forward the, the motion to uh, to get rid of them if Gunner does. But again, Gunner doesn't seem to be able to do anything here. And I know it's a little complicated because I think there's something now looking into that a little further that he has to either be declared, you know, mentally unsound or unfit for the position or to have committed a crime. And uh, not sure that they got him on either one of those, but he's kind of like on the borderline. It seems both of those things, you know, by his own admission that he had some some mental health issues that he wanted to go and deal with. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we'll see. But this is just dragging on and dragging on and dragging on. And Gunner apparently still doesn't have confidence in him, but uh, looks like Mick's going to, uh, yeah, take this one down to the wire again. Mm-hmm. Were there any witnesses to this alleged act? Well, that's a good question. I, I'm not sure the level of detail there, but I'm if sure there the were, people, his own words would uh, bring him unstuck. Well, and remember, he hasn't he hasn't confirmed or denied it. Said so that he may very well have been what happened, but he can't recall exactly because mm-hmm. he has disassociative episodes. Yeah, <laughs> Which, yeah, a lot of people. Anyway, <laughs> my two year old has that, those as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I, I'll tell you that that. Like I've told you guys before, and it still hasn't come out who it is, but I can tell you it's a very credible person. The first, mm. the first woman is very well respected and very credible. And I'm mm. sure there were other people that night who, if they didn't hear those words, would have seen what the impact of that was for yeah. for both parties. Yeah. And um, yeah, and then you've got the other. I think Cunningham said there were two other women that he spoke to. We've heard there's up to like 12 women who've all discussed uh, him being similar, similar things being said mm-hmm. to them. So there's no, you know, the imminent announcement of his future uh, doesn't look very bright, I would mm-hmm. suggest, for Mr. Dodson. Mm-hmm. But uh, who knows how he's going to play this? We don't know how this contract works here in this legislation around being a commissioner. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, next week we can still talk about it. That's a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to yeah, have how ridiculous it's got. If you thought this was four and a half hours this week, Pete, you've got estimates <laughs> and you've got Ian next week, so good luck. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. We're going to have to drop his 200-page document down to 10% top. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> anyway. All right, Chris. Well, mate, as always, it's been a pleasure. Yeah, thanks, guys. We'll see you next week. That was Chris Wells from the NT Independent Online Newspaper on the Territory Story podcast, weekend edition, Weekends with Bolshe, back again next week. We'll catch you then. You've been listening to the Territory Story podcast with Leon Logan Nathan and Peter Gowers. For more episodes, search Territory Story podcast on all leading podcasting platforms or go to territorystory.com. The Territory Story podcast, thanks to Opie Dennis Digital Marketing, your local digital marketing agency.